Welcome back to America Speaks. It is a real honor today to have Deb Holland on as our guest. I want to mention that we had recorded this interview a few months ago, and it is an honor today to announce that Barack Obama has endorsed Deb Holland. Deb is running for Congress from New Mexico's first district and is bracing to make history as the first Native American woman to be elected to Congress. Deb is a single mom and was raised in a military family. She graduated the University of New Mexico and the University of New Mexico Law School. Deb's father was a 30-year career Marine, is buried at Arlington's National Cemetery. Deb's mom served in the Navy and met and married Deb's dad while they were both stationed at Treasure Island. Deb is the first Native American woman in the country to chair a state party. She was the first chairwoman elected to the Laguna Development Corporation Board of Directors overseeing business operations of the second largest tribal gaming enterprise in New Mexico. Deb successfully advocated for the Laguna Development Corporation to make policies and commitments to earth-friendly business practices. Deb is a formal tribal administrator and has administered a local service provider for adults with developmental disabilities. In January 2016, Deb was appointed as an honorary commander of Kirtland Air Force Base to help create a better understanding of its missions and the United States Air Force as a whole among the community at large. Deb served for one year as Native American Caucus Chair for the Democratic Party of New Mexico. Deb, given your strong work as a community organizer and being determined to see us take back Congress and the Senate, can you tell us why you threw your hat in the ring? And also, what does your candidacy mean for New Mexico? So first I'll say hello, and I am a very proud member of the Pueblo of Laguna, which is the Pueblo about 40 miles west of Albuquerque. In fact, I was just there last night. We are having some activities this weekend, so I was at my mom's last night and always appreciate an opportunity to go home as often as possible. You know, I feel like for the last 15 or 20 years, I've been working very hard to bring underrepresented folks to the table. And I feel like over the years, it's just been one more step forward and we're making progress and we're getting more people to vote and, and we're registering more people and more Native folks are getting involved. I really appreciate that. That was one of the things I really wanted to do here in New Mexico. And it seemed like once I was finishing my term as state chair, we had a huge record of winning during our last election. And our current congresswoman made an announcement that she was running for governor and the seat would be open. I was finishing my term and it just seemed like that was the right thing to do because I always want to move forward, right? I always want to see what I can do next to help help the people of New Mexico and to get more folks involved in our political process. So 
that was kind of a green light for me that perhaps that was the seat that I would be able to have a good chance of winning. Absolutely. And I think your efforts are going to encourage more Native American women to participate, not just in local politics, but also in national politics. So can you talk about your commitment to reflecting your heritage and why it's so important you could make history as the first Native American woman serving in Congress? Well, first of all, Congress has never heard a voice from a Native American woman in this country. There have been over 10,200 people elected to the U.S. Congress and never a Native woman. Regardless of what office you're running for, if you're the first at something, you help pave the way for other folks to feel like they have an opportunity that they didn't feel existed prior to this happening. So I don't ever feel like I can speak for all tribes or even for my tribe. But what I do is I bring to the table a perspective that hasn't yet been heard I've worked for Indian tribes, I've advocated for Indian issues for a long time, and I just feel that my experiences as a Native woman, as a daughter of a military officer, as, you know, the granddaughter of farmers, as the mother of an LGBTQ recent college graduate. Congratulations. That I just might be able to bring a new perspective to the conversation. Well, you see, that's what's so vital. I am a photojournalist and I have been covering not just First Amendment rights, but I have been really truly hearing from people who feel underrepresented in our political system, moreover in our social system and morally underrepresented. And I look at your candidate and I think to myself, what an opportunity to strike a chord in those people that really truly feel this disconnect. So let's break down some of your platform because I'm fascinated by your commitment to education. I'm a mature student. I didn't even start college till I was 28. And one of the reasons for that is no one ever told me when I was younger that I should go to college. And I have to believe that there's a huge number of of students who, by some reason, their parents never went to college. Maybe the people in their lives don't see promise in them or they feel like they should just get out of high school and get a job somewhere. But I always want to, when I am around kids, tell them that they should go to college because I was never told myself and I feel like if I do that maybe might inspire some kids to even look at it. Um, One of the problems here in New Mexico is that we're over testing our students in grade school and high school and I think that takes away from teachers' ability to teach what they want to and how they want to. So it probably turns a lot of students off, quite frankly. So I would really love to see us going back to inspiring kids at an early age. Uh, I can remember my first day of kindergarten, back when teachers had pianos in every classroom and we sang songs. And it was more than just going to school. It was creating relationships and learning how to do teamwork and all these other things, right? And and now it seems like teachers are preoccupied through no fault of their own to teach to these horrible tests. Well, I think it's a problem across the country. 
Yes. You have programs to support how to provide early education for families that really can't afford to put their kids into school early enough so that their kids get a leg up and can compete, correct? Oh, absolutely. I can look at my daughter and see the benefits of early childhood education. She'd been in school since she was two. The only reason that she went to school starting when she was two is because I volunteered at the preschool that she attended. I pulled weeds, I scrubbed toilets, I mopped floors because I wanted her to have an opportunity to have early childhood education. And I realized that's not an option for a lot of parents. And I believe that we should spend the money on early childhood education. That, I believe, helped my daughter to do extremely well all the way through high school Uh, She went straight to college after that and now has her bachelor's degree. And at least she has that under her belt. Hopefully she's not finished yet, but I want that for every child because I saw the benefits of it for my own child. I think we can find ways of helping students to have debt-free college, and we need to do that. You know, I'm still paying off my student loans right now, my years in law school, and I would rather see our students get out of college debt-free, get into the work world, contribute to our economy without having all of this crippling debt. The way this administration is going, there'll be some banks making profits off of students and their loans. I really don't want that to happen either. I think we need to take a leap forward, especially given that Betsy DeVos is trying to destroy our public school system. Kim, can you also share with us your feelings? I think that the big issue here is that every time there's any kind of an issue with the budget, education seems to take the first hit. The communities that are hit hardest are the rural communities, you know, we've got to take a look at how do we engage those communities in a way that we haven't done before, not just from an educational perspective, but from an economic perspective. How do we start having a conversation with these communities to get their ideas and their input? Because they're not often asked. And that's the Native American community. That's the Northern New Mexico community. It's all of our communities that are sort of not brought into the conversation on a regular basis. Deb, can you speak to that? Absolutely. I mean, I'm Native American. My family's been in New Mexico since the late 1200s. And it's frustrating to believe that people who are also descendants of immigrants to this country would not be more compassionate about people who want a better life, who want to experience our democracy in the United States. Well, I think we've lost our way. I think we can all agree on that. The tackle and dismantle the school-to-prison pipeline. Can you talk about that for a second? I think that's a bit of a dirty secret that I'd like to bring out into the open. Sure, that kids of color and LGBT students and other folks, they get targeted more. They certainly get bullied in school, and the vast number of people who are filling our prisons today, they don't have a high school education, much less a college education. And if you inspire children to finish their education, there's a larger chance that they will be productive members of society and live a life where they can succeed. To me, that's a small price for us to pay 
as a society than to see what happens when kids drop out of school and land in prison. I see that you have a very strong focus on lower income families. Yes, we need jobs here. People need to be employed in jobs that provide them with benefits, with a decent living wage. We need to build up our community. So my very first effort will be for the folks who need employment, who need a job to provide for their families. New Mexico could be a leader in renewable energy. We have almost 300 days of sun per year in New Mexico, and we have a lot of wind here in New Mexico, and there's no reason that we should not be a leader in renewable energy. So I'd love to see that happen. Deb, I have to ask you, all of us who were a part of supporting the water protectors are just mind blown with the way they are being treated. And regardless of how badly they were treated, they stood their ground. And I think that's what a lot of us will have to do in the future. Standing rock everywhere when we want to protect things that are dear to our culture and history. You know, those are our sacred sites. For example, Chaco Canyon, people who live here in New Mexico and realize and understand the importance of these cultural sites, they belong to them too. Like they're all of ours. They're not just the Indian. They're all of ours. Deb, I want to thank you so much for today's interview and for sharing with our audience your views on issues all Americans care about and are concerned about for their families. Your candidacy is a powerful inspiration for all women and for all Native American women. I know that we will be celebrating you making history as your victory feels so vital for the direction our nation needs to be going in. Your grassroots efforts to win voters' confidence with a campaign built on passion and honesty and a deep caring about American families has struck a chord across the country, and it's no wonder Barack Obama has endorsed you. I want to invite everyone back for part two of our conversation with Deb Holland next week. And Deb, can you tell our listeners how they can reach you and how they can learn more about your candidacy? My website is debforcongress.com. If you have protested for anything in the past 18 years, you very well may be in my book, I Protest. Please go to my website, tishlampert.org, that's www.tishlampert.org, and see if you can find yourself in my book. You can also follow me on Twitter, at tishlampertcom, that's at T-I-S-H-L-A-M-P-E-R-T-C-O-M. And find me on Instagram, T-I-S-H underscore L-A-M-P-E-R-T underscore O-R-G. And I want to invite everyone to go to Tish Lampert's America Speaks on Apple Podcasts, where you can find our archived episodes. And once again, I want to thank James Koblenz, Oscar Batista, and Kim Langbacker, without whom this episode would not be possible. And lastly, we would love to hear from you. Please write to us at americaspeakspodcast at gmail.com and tell us what you thought of today's episode and come back for our next episode of America Speaks. Remember, America Speaks believes every one of us has a story. And a voice. <laughs>